Good morning, everyone. Can I just pray before we start? I just get this sense that God wants to do something that's a bit different to what I plan, which is always a little bit scary for me. Um, but I genuinely think that God wants to do something that, that is possibly uh, maybe going to be a bit different. And um, so I do want the Holy Spirit to speak first um, to me and also to all of us as uh, we unpack what God wants to share with us this morning. God, I, I pray that, um, that this is a room full of soft hearts, that this is a room full of people that want to learn from you, that want to hear from you, that want to have their life uh, centered on your word and, um, and your life. And so, God, we pray that this morning we put aside all distractions and we lean into what you are wanting to do this morning. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Um, Beck and I have just been on holiday. Uh, this last five days we were down, or well, not last five, um, for the week, we were down in Bustleton. And, um, and so we've enjoyed a little bit of sunshine. I think God answers prayers. Um, uh, people were praying for us that we would be able to enjoy some sunshine because uh, it was forecasted for rain for the whole week, but we got to go to the beach uh, we got to uh, go out and enjoy the sights and the, all of the different things um, that we were hoping to be able to do this time. And um, Sam did really well as well. He's come back a couple of shades browner. Um, <laughs> he's getting to the point where people are probably going to go, you can't be his dad because he's just a different color uh, to you. Uh, and so that, that's been our week. But, um, you know, I prepared this word earlier, but I think this morning God is maybe wanting to take it a bit differently. Uh, but let me just lay the groundwork. So I'm going to do a bit of teaching first, and then the second half is possibly going to be a bit more of a chat. Because I think I'll really hope that the Holy Spirit is going to massage something into you. Um, you know, the worst thing about going to church for a long time is that you get used to hearing messages, yeah. right? You get so used to hearing all the good stuff that this guy gets to bring to you every week that, that sometimes it's like, great, awesome, cool, I've done my duty, off I go. Rather than actually go, hang on, my life is meant to be centered on God's Word. The whole point of me doing, bringing this teaching is that it should be a bit of like, mm, where's my life going? Is, if this is God's Word and this is God's truth and my life is here, you can't be like, oh, it's like two degrees off, that's okay. No, it's like, it's two degrees off. Let's get this right. You know, the song that we sang, Build My Life, I don't know why. I don't know whether they changed it. But originally, I remember singing, I will build my life upon your word. It is a firm foundation. But somehow, it's now we sing, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I'm like, hang on. Did someone change it? Anyone? It's always been love? Okay. Well, I think the Bible actually says that God's Word is a firm foundation. So maybe we should go back to singing that in my mind. Back. Maybe we'll do that later. But anyway, so we are finishing off our series, Mad, Sad, Glad. We've spoken about the sad emotions. We've spoken about the mad emotions. Today we're going to talk about the glad emotions. Uh, somewhat finishing on a high, right? Uh, we want to finish um, our series talking about the glad emotions. And very much like the mad and the sad emotions, glad emotions has a real impact on our physical bodies. It makes us literally feel good. And uh, one of the ways it does that is that our brains are washed with a couple of, I think they're called neurotransmitters, not hormones, yeah. I think they're neurotransmitters, they're called serotonin and dopamine. Okay, serotonin, dopamine. A little bit of a science lesson for everyone. Serotonin literally gives us a sense of well-being. 
I don't know what it means. <laughs> I, I dug a little bit and it was like, this is probably one of the, the good explanations. It makes us feel like we are well. <laughs> There's this little drug in our brain that it's like, hmm, you are well. <laughs> kind of weird. But literally, when you laugh, when you are happy, um, and your brain releases serotonin, which makes you go, I feel uh, 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 well, and it uh, also the, the effect of that is that it promotes health in our bodies. <laughs> this is a, a major good drug, I, I would say. And then the other drug is called um, neurotransmitter is called dopamine, and dopamine is uh, uh, what helps us to feel pleasure and satisfaction. Um, it also makes us, uh, as the name suggests, feel a little bit dopey, right? So when you're like so happy that you're feeling a little bit dopey, that's because dopamine is flooding your system. And so what happens is the combination of those things and all, all the other aspects of happiness is that our bodies are actually boosted in our immune system. It fights stress, it puts aside pain. Happiness actually has the effect of doing those things. And that's why when people laugh a lot, you actually feel good. You actually uh, feel more relaxed. That's why we love comedy. That's why we love laughing, because to some extent, it can help us escape the stresses and the pressures of life. And, um, and, and if we are constantly in a stress mode, our bodies activate it all the time, we actually will crash. We actually need to find a way to go to the other side and feel happy in order that our bodies stop being activated and stressed. And that's why happiness has this effect of boosting our immunity. When you're activated the whole time, your immune system after a while begins to wear down. Uh, you, you wear your, yourself out by being stressed all the time. And so being happy actually just cuts that, brings us back or even uh, to an underactivated state and uh, it helps us recover and all those kinds of things. Now, another good thing about the glad emotions is that uh, research shows us that negative emotions tend to narrow our focus. And it makes sense, right? When you're stressed or when you're afraid of something, uh, when you are mad about something, your focus goes onto the issue that you need to deal with, right? And so that's what happens. Now, the glad emotions have been shown to broaden our perspective. It stops us focusing on just the one thing, and it gives us a bit more of a global perspective, as some uh, researchers say. So we are able to consider more things. Um, some researchers say that this is where creativity comes into our lives. When we are relaxed, when we are happy, uh, it tends to be that we are able to consider more things, uh, and that's where you are creative. Um, let me just put something out there. When you are making a, a big decision on, of your life um, and you making it out of stress or anger or frustration, what can happen is that you are narrowing your ability to think of options. And so that, that, that sometimes you need to find a way to ensure that you are more in a rested state rather than an activated state so that you can consider more options. One, research, uh, one researcher puts it this way, play comedy and happiness contribute fluidity and agility to the soul. 
play, comedy, happiness, contribute fluidity and agility to the soul. Because when we uh, are always focused on one thing, I need to perform in this way, I need to achieve this, I need to do this in a certain way, I need, need, need to have this, you tend to narrow your focus, this is what life is about, and there is a rigidity and an inflexibility that comes into our life. And you know, one of the things that I've noticed in being a parent over the last couple of years is that I think I had some pretty rigid mindsets about how to raise my child. As most parents feel the, the pressure of raising the kid, we, we, we tend to be a little bit more like, oh. But what I found is that, especially, I don't know if this is the, the gift of a dad, but I play a lot with Sam. That's what I love doing. I love finding ways to make him laugh and absolutely cack it. And, and, and I found cat videos work amazingly. So I, every time he is stroppy, I'm like, cat video time. Uh, but he also loves tickles. He loves play. and, and and the play and him laughing somehow also relaxes me. It's like, oh, you know, you're okay. You know, we are going to be okay. And, 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 and so I've also found that quite often at night after a long day at work or uh, all the pressures that are going on, I just love watching stuff that makes me laugh. Comedy. I'm like, you know what, that issue that has been so um, draining on my soul, I've laughed it off. <laughs> Anyone notice that? We need to be able to play. We need to be able to bring laughter and happiness into our lives. God created us to experience these emotions. And, um, and so um, this is really good. Happiness also has a social function to it. So uh, a lot of the negative emotions actually push people away. They're called distancing emotions. Especially last week we spoke about being mad, right? Mad is a distancing emotion. When I'm feeling mad with you, I'm pushing you away. That's a natural response. Happiness is the opposite. When I'm spending time with people and I'm laughing and I'm having fun, it is an affiliating emotion. It makes me want to hang out with you more. And that's why church, when we do family feasts, get there. You are not going to find family just by coming in and singing a few songs and running out. We need to laugh and we need to play together. Stop being so like, oh, I don't do that stuff. You know, as a pastor, one of the things that I've learned over the last few years, especially being part of the state executive, is that we have these times where we gather as, a, as, as pastors and we need to come together. And a part of it is having fun. A part of it is actually laughing and celebrating and all of those things. And I remember just before our conference this year, I spoke to a few pastors and said, oh, I, I've been there. I've seen everything already. I don't need to go for that. You know, such pastors, they, they tend to, to burn out. They don't tend to last the distance. Why? Because they suddenly go, I can do this by myself. I've worked this out. They don't know how to gather. They don't know how to affiliate. They, they think that some of the things that are done in those kinds of settings are, oh, you know, they're just for young people. They just want to laugh and have a good time. It's like, yes, we want to laugh and have a good time because it's important for our souls. And so when we as a church, we do things together, let's get together because it builds family and it also contributes to our well-being. So happiness is good, right? End of story. Message done. Let's all be happy. I've now given you, hopefully you understand, I'm not anti-happiness. I'm very pro-happiness. I love telling jokes. I love making people laugh. I, was tell I still love this joke we had been told last night. So... Um, and I, I got home one day and I saw a couple of weird guys hanging outside our spare bedroom. And so I was like, hey, what are you guys doing? 
One of the guys shouted, Nanya business, and ran to the cupboard and disappeared. Get it? <laughs> Nanya? Nanya business. They ran back into Nanya. Oh my gosh. I can tell that many people here don't have dads. You have not been educated in dad jokes. We love laughter. I'm not anti-laughter. I'm not anti-happiness. But happiness is also known as one of the most dangerous emotions. It's a very powerful, important emotion. It's also one of the most dangerous emotions. It's a dangerous emotion because we pursue and chase happiness without necessarily understanding whether that pursuit, how we are pursuing happiness, is a good thing or not. Let me give you a really dumb example, but I think it's funny. Um, I love roast pork. Roast pork is beautiful, especially when you do it well. You know, there's that fatty, juicy part, the melt in your mouth, meat, and then there's the crackle on the top that is nice. Yeah, I know, some people are already like, come on, Nate, this is torture. I love roast pork. Beck and I had this roast pork a, a few weeks ago, and I'm still thinking about it. It is like... <sighs> Does it make me feel happy? Now, if I were to go, I need to be happy today and I need to have roast pork for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And for the next five days, I have roast pork for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Too much of a good thing, isn't it? And so I need to understand that the pursuit of happiness is not because I'm happy, I can pursue whatever I want. Let me give you a more real-world example. Recently, there were some reports that came out that proved something that many people already knew, but social media is actually really damaging to people, especially young people. Why? Because social media has been geared around our dopamine center in our brain. When you get likes and you get uh, uh, comments on your posts, people uh, that are saying, oh, look at this, it's so cool, whatever they're saying, it actually releases dopamine in our brains. However, much like a drug, after a while, the same amount of likes and the same comments on the same people doesn't cut it anymore. And so we need to be able to do something that will get more likes and comments and, and get us a bigger reach. And so what the young people do who are uneducated, maybe not inexperienced in life, what do they do? They find these other people who are on social media who have got far more likes and far more comments and they model their lives on these people. They need to look like these people. And so what happens is that you build an image issue. I am not enough in order to get all of these things. And so in order that I can be happy with myself, I need to look like that. My life needs to look like that. And so we have all these young people fighting with depression, fighting with anxiety, fighting with low self-esteem. Why? Because they have been pursuing happiness. The pursuit of happiness itself is not wrong, but what are you pursuing in order to find happiness? That is the question. And we need to understand that this is not a new situation. People have been using different forms of happiness to sell us all sorts of products. And sometimes it's not just have this and you'll be happy. It's like have this and you'll be attractive enough to be happy. You'll be uh, uh, powerful enough in order to pursue happiness better. We, we are sold on all of these things. Oh, what a feeling right? Have the right smile, have the right clothing, have the right deodorant. It's like if you've gone through life, you know that no deodorant will get you to go because you smell like a teenage boy. 
But still, we are flooded with ads on deodorant on the TV that show us that that 25, 30-year-old guy that goes to the club with ling sprayed on will get the girls. I'm like, no, that guy is a teenager that no one wants to hang out with. We don't think about it because the ad is selling us happiness. And so the pursuit of happiness is something that we need to be careful about. And the Bible does talk about this. And in fact, the Bible doesn't really let us pursue happiness the, world, the way the world tells us to. Matthew 5, 3 to 12, Jesus is teaching uh, his message called the Sermon on the Mount, and he teaches about the Beatitudes. And every time you see the word blessed, think of the word happy, because the word blessed in the Bible is this quality of being able to be happy. When the Bible is saying you are blessed, you say you have the ability, you have the qualities to be happy. You've been entrusted with that. That's why we can say, I bless the Lord, because I want God to be happy. I want to give Him my worship. I want to give Him my praise. That's why we can bless the Lord. So if you look at that, it says, I'm going to read the first part as well. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for this is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, who, uh, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you happy are those who have people who spit in their faces anyone want to line up and i will make you all blessed (laughs) blessed are those who are persecuted for the kingdom yeah bring it on happy are those who are poor in spirit happy are those who are meek Happy are those who are insulted for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus seems in this moment to be going, guys, why are you chasing the wrong form of happiness? And we have to really look into this because This doesn't go with our thinking about life. And let me say something. Happiness is so insidious and so much a part of our culture that we pursue happiness without thinking about it. We pursue those moments of comfort, maybe of peace, maybe of oblivion to stress that we don't even know what we're pursuing in order to be happy. We find in Proverbs 19 verse 23 that the Bible puts something else forward other than the pursuit of happiness. And this is what it says, the fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Now, the fear of the Lord in Proverbs isn't about being scared of God. 
Rather, it is about understanding that God is superior, above. He's almighty and I am not. And because of that difference, when I approach him, there's a certain sense of like, ooh. You know, when, when you approach a powerful person, I don't know who you think is a powerful person. Think about someone that you think is really superior and powerful. And when you enter their presence, it's a bit like, you know, the other day we went to Laker and I saw Nick Nat. He's a tall, powerful person. It's a bit like, a little bit like that, except this is God that we're talking about. We're not talking about a footballer. We're talking about someone who created the heavens and the earth. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is God's way of living. And so in Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. It's not being scared of God. And so in this fear and trepidation, suddenly I find life. It's like when I seek God and when I say that you have the keys to life, when I say you understand how life is supposed to be, right? And I learn that and I put that as a part of my life. I will find life and then I will rest content. One of the interesting things about the glad emotions is that contentment is one of them. Contentment is one of the glad emotions. But more often than not, we look for things other than contentment because contentment seems like settling. But the Bible talks about contentment as that inner peace that really seems to guard us. Let me unpack this a little bit more because it says then one rests content untouched by trouble. <laughs> it is this power within us when we find contentment. What psychology has found about contentment is is that it works very differently from happiness. You see, happiness drives us to pursue something external. Happiness is an external thing. When I get that, that will make me happy. When I get that, and that might not be that big a deal. Roast pork, when I get that, that I will be happy. It makes me feel happy, it's great. When I watch that TV show, it makes me feel happy. But it's external. I do not be happy by myself. I cannot be happy internally. That's not happiness. Happiness as a definition in psychology is a pursuit of something external. But what contentment is, contentment rises from within. And this is what a psychologist said. Uh, contentment rises from living up to your own expectations and your internal moral code. This is what contentment is about, is when you have lived up to your own expectations and your internal moral code. Now, this is written by a secular psychologist, and so let me put this as a Christian perspective. My expectations, if I fear the Lord and I pursue wisdom, then my expectations and my moral code is God's expectations and God's moral code. Make sense? And when I have God's expectations and God's moral code, and then I live up to them, that's where contentment comes from, and that's why I am untouched by trouble. The pursuit of happiness always leads to the pursuit of more. The pursuit of contentment is the pursuit of being more. The pursuit of happiness depends on outside circumstances lining up. 
The pursuit of contentment, godly contentment, is the pursuit of me lining up with God's ways. And so when I learn how to be content, that's where I learn a superpower in this world. But contentment is not going to be easy. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 to 13, Paul writes these famous words. He writes to the Philippian church and he says, thank you basically uh, for giving me certain things and um, I really uh, rejoice that you have shown your consent for me. And let's pick it up. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in one. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. We misquote this verse when he say, I can do all things through him who gives me strength when we're talking about doing an exam. When we talk, talk about uh, uh, um, something that is, is, is not about contentment. Paul uses this verse very specifically and he says, I need God's strength in order to be content. Do you see this? That doesn't sound like contentment to me. Not the way that I understand. Contentment is like, oh, this is my lot in life. I might as well just enjoy it. The biblical sense of contentment is like, God said it. I'm pursuing that. And in his strength, I'm going to get there. And so it doesn't matter what is happening on the outside. On the inside, my obedience to God's word is sustaining me. My obedience to what God is saying is how I can be content even though there are storms raging on the outside of my life. And so when we as Christians understand that we have been given a moral compass, that we have been given direction in our life, that the Word of God gives to us, it is not pursue that because you're going to be a better person. It's pursue that because that's where contentment lies. That's where true happiness and joy really is. This is not about... How, how do I say that? It, it, it is not about imposing an external standard on you, but it's, it's about... It's about taking it in and seeing that's the best version of myself I could ever be. And me rising up to that actually makes me content. Contentment isn't about doing nothing. When Paul writes all of these things, I've learned how to be content with everything, he is not sitting in his little yacht and just writing nice little letters to people. He is flipping in prison because he's bringing the gospel to places that are anti-gospel. Yes, yes. There is a drive in Paul's heart that is saying, I can't not go to bring the gospel to another place. There is this contentment in who he is and what he's got. And there's also a discontentment because God's word is saying you need to keep going. And there is a tension for us as Christians. And this is where it gets into a chat and not into a teaching, okay? Because I've been feeling this over the last few weeks, that our church, we built this church to be a place where introverts feel safe. I'm an introvert, and I love this church. And we built this church to be a place where you weren't put under pressure to perform. I... 
never want any person to be pressured to perform. But I also wonder whether in the midst of all of that, we've created a place where when there is discomfort because God is asking you for something more, it's easy to say no. It's easy to go, yeah, you still love me if I don't do that, right? It's like, yes, of course. Okay. Well, what's that all about? Have we built a Christianity that is it's easy to say no to God's words because we know he loves us anyway? Because that's not contentment. That's oblivion. That is blindness. That is sinful. That is wrong. My contentment comes because I haven't built a safe little space for me untouched by troubles of the world. You know how you'd be untouched by troubles of the world? You win a million dollars from the lottery, and you go and buy yourself an island and don't talk to anyone. That's one way to be untouched by trouble. But I think what will happen is that you'll be troubled on the inside because you suddenly realize that this is not what life is about. This is not what I've been created for. This is not what this is meant to be about. We've got to listen to that voice before we get to that place where we've been so conditioned to disregard God's word. And so I'm in this place of attention because I think that the church needs to be a place where all personalities are able to, to feel safe. And we need to be a church where every person is appreciated and loved because you're all created in the image of God. But we also need to create a church where if God is saying something to you, whether in the written word of God or whether God's revealing something through the prophetic or something, that we need to be able to get alongside each other and say, hey, God said this to you. Why the heck are you not doing it? Right? God has given you giftings that you are meant to be using. And you're saying, oh, it's too inconvenient right now. I'm not saying this to anyone, by the way. I'm looking at the wall. But is there something inside of us? When we talk about this glad emotions, I, I struggle with it because I know that it's important for us to be contented. But at the same time, when I was sitting here this morning, it was like God said, I want you to be contented in a real contentment, which requires a little bit of discontentment <laughs> with the way that things are. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense, God. How am I supposed to bring that? Say, Don't call it teaching, call it a chat. <laughs> but, all right, let's chat about this. Am I discontented with the way that my life is not living up to what God is saying? Remember what contentment is. It is when I am living up to the expectation and the moral code that the Word of God has given to me. You know, God put this phrase in my heart as I was driving here this morning, and I was like, that's going to make a song one day. Oh, Beck Gale's not here. Well, she must podcast this. But I said, I, I just felt this, like, your word is not an interruption. 
Your ways are not an inconvenience. We need to be Christians, people of faith that say your word is not an inconvenience. Your ways are not an interruption to what I'm pursuing. What you want me to pursue, that is my pursuit. What you are saying to me, that is my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How many of us are going, oh, nice light way. Let me go walk in the marshes and see how I go. And then you come back and you go, why didn't that work? Why did it work? It's because you did the wrong thing. And us as pastors, I'm trying to find a space where I want to be empathetic with every person that I sit with. It's something that I've been working really hard on. And Beck knows this. My psychologist knows this. But at the same time, there's something rising up in me that's going, we need to be a bold church. We need to be a church that goes, God said, I do. God says, I obey. God said, it is good. God said, I will work it out as I obey. And I'm not saying that this means that we all be missionaries and go to third world nations. But what's God saying to you in your life right now? As a student, as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, in all areas, is there that sense of God said, and I do. Are we a community where we come alongside each other and we constantly have conversations? So, so what's been God saying to you? Are we a community that understands that, hmm, that's actually sin. I need to talk to you about that. Or do we go, oh, to each their own? You know, that's, you know, that's, that's okay. You know, they'll figure it out. God will speak to them. Maybe God's speaking to them through you. Are we a community that truly wants to see each other pursue life? The fear of God, the fear of God is the beginning of life. That's where contentment is. That's where troubles can't touch us. When I was um, a youth leader, we did a young boy sleepover. One of the scariest things I ever did. Whole bunch of boys who went slept over at church. Most of those boys were boys that the Department of Child Protection knew well. And I was speaking to my youth pastors, like, we're doing this. What what should we do? And I remember my youth pastor said, These boys need boldness. I'm like, why? We need to teach these boys to be courageous. And I was like, why? they do crazy things, crazy things that I've ever done in my whole life. We need to teach them control and restraint. Let's talk about self-control. I said, no, these guys don't know what true courage looks like. And so we came to this verse, I still remember to this day, I don't have reference, but I know the verse. Like, the wicked run when no one chases, but the righteous are as bold as lions. And this verse came back to me a little while ago and I've been thinking and thinking about it because this is not about someone that's chasing you down or whatever. It's like, am I running or am I standing my ground? Am I running or am I standing my ground? Am I running from things that God is saying? Or am I standing my ground and say, God, what you are saying scares the crap out of me, but I'm still standing. I'm obeying because... 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can learn to be content even in the middle of my fear because I am actually doing this. One final thought that I want to put out there. I was having a conversation with someone and then this person said, I know I'm a coward. How do I be courageous? And that stumped me for a little while. It's not like the Wizard of Oz where I could give him a heart and suddenly you're like this bold lion. And I realized that courage isn't a substance. Courage is a choice. That even in the middle of my fear, even in the middle of my insecurity, even in the middle of all the threats that I'm sensing, I'm, I'm still saying yes. And you know, as a parent, it's a really scary thing sometimes. So I'm molding Sam's life and I'm thinking about how things, what, what he needs to be able to grow and to mature. Let me just say that as a parent, it is so much easier to take the easy route. So I'll let Beck deal with that. Beck can deal with that one. But I've learned that, no, 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 I've got to take a stand even though the backlash is not something that I really want to take on. Because I'm standing in my position as a father. I'm saying, this is what is good for Sam. And so even though it's going to cost me, and this doesn't sound like contentment, does it? You hear me? That, that's what I'm trying to bring across to you. Godly contentment is not this like, oh, everything is so nice. Everything's all, no, everything is not well, but I am well. I want our church to be like Peter that was on this boat and saw Jesus walking on the water. I was thinking about this. This is really going to chat territory. And I was thinking about this the other week because when Peter saw Jesus, he said, Lord, if that is you, you'll call me out on the water. And we know that, right? Very famous story. But when I thought about it, Peter said, the test of whether it really is Jesus is that Jesus will call me out onto this water to be with him. It's not, Jesus, if that's you, tell me what my life was like before I followed you. It wasn't, Jesus, if that is you, tell me about some secret that only you and I know. It was, Jesus, if that's you, call me out. Anyone could have said, come. It could have been me. Uh, come. It, but Peter knew that if that is Jesus, he's going to call me to do some crazy things and it's going to work. He didn't say, Jesus, if that is you, call me to walk on the water and make sure I don't sink. He said, Jesus, if that is you, if you call me to come, that's it. I don't like that. That doesn't make me feel very contented. It makes me feel scared. It makes me feel like, whoa. So what kind of happiness are you going to pursue? A happiness where you just feel coddled and nice. And the moments where you can relax. The moments to play and to enjoy. 
But what God's putting on my heart is that you want true gladness. Then you need to watch what you're pursuing. And so in a couple of weeks, we got that upper room that Beck's spoken about. That's one of those moments that we can say, God, I, I want to listen. I, I, I need, I need to know what you're saying. I need to know your voice. I need to know your ways. I need to know your purposes because I don't want to just keep going because I know me. I know I'm likely to pursue some kind of fake happiness that would just put me into the cycle. But I want to pursue your voice. And I want my life to align with what you are saying. God, your voice is not an interruption. Your ways are not an inconvenience. You hold words that lead to life. Where else can I turn? Can we get the band up this morning? I sense that God wants people to be stirred up. That's another thing that to me is like godly contentment doesn't sound like the contentment that we know. Romans 12 verse 11, this is Paul's words again, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You know when I feel zealous about something, is this uncomfortable feeling that I need to do more? Anyone ever felt zealous before? It's this sense of like, this is not enough. Yeah. And I remember this moment, there was a pastor's gathering. I don't even remember the message, but I just remember God speaking to me that day and saying, is that all you want? Is that really all you want? Is that all that you're wanting to have from me? Are you contented with that? And I realize that I've been going, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I'm doing things that I think most people would consider good. I'm doing okay. But then in that moment, I realized that God was saying, no. I've got more. You just haven't asked for it. See, godly contentment isn't about just sitting there, book closed, that's it, chapter done. It's about going, God, your words, your ways, your grace, your anointing, whatever you've got, I want. And then when I received, I, I need to live this out. I need to do something about this. I need to serve. I need to love. I need to, I need to, I need to use my gifts. I need to use what you have placed in me. I need, I need to. This is not good enough anymore for me because you are doing something in me. And so this morning, if I've, chatted you to a place where there's something that hasn't made sense. Can we be in this moment and go, you know what? 
No more games, God. I need more of you. And if that's you, can I just ask you just to put aside all distractions, put aside all things that you might need to do and just go, God, me and you, now. Your word is not an interruption. Your ways are not an inconvenience. I need more of you. I need more of you. So why don't we stand this morning, the band will lead us in this song. And if that is you, maybe you might want to come forward. We might pray for you. I don't know. We'll see what Holy Spirit is saying this morning. But I sense that there's a stirring up that is happening in this room. And I can't run away from it. This is what God wants to do. He wants to light a fire. He wants to put a new zeal and a new passion. No more coasting, Christian. No more just getting through each day. God has got something so much more for you. So God, I pray that our hearts be open, our hearts be hungry. Your word says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So God, I pray that you align our hunger with your righteousness, with your ways, with your words, with your spirit. God, I pray that every other thing would just melt away, just be burnt away in this moment. God, we want to build our lives on your word, that God, it is a firm foundation. There is nothing else for me but you. There is nothing else for me but you. God, I pray that this day, that there will be a line in the sand in our church, that there will be bold Christianity, a Christianity that's says yes to what you are saying and what you are wanting to do, God. God, I pray that we will be uncomfortable and discontented with the way that things are until, God, that we are living in alignment with your word. And I pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.